justice, international justice, as its own temple. You know? It's very slow. But sooner or later, we will get there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Antonio Cassese, The Stubborn Sparrow. My name is Antonio Coco, and I teach international law at the School of Law of the University of Essex. Hello, Antonio. Hello to our listeners. I'm Giulia Pinsauti. I'm an assistant professor at Leiden Law School, also working on international law. As our listeners may know, in this podcast series, we revisit some of the major contributions of Nino Cassese as a practitioner. He worked for decades in international law and engaging with international institutions. Nino would have liked to speak to all those who want to contribute to make the world a better place. Today we're going to talk about Nino's work as president of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon and the tribunal's decision on the crime of terrorism. The tribunal is really the first of its kind to have jurisdiction over the crime of terrorism. And Nino was really at the forefront of the first steps taken by this institution, and perhaps his most memorable contribution is that to the drafting of an interlocutory decision on the definition of terrorism, which was issued on 16 February 2011. The tribunal had been created in 2007 to prosecute those responsible for the killing of former Lebanese Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri and 21 more people, and to prosecute also those responsible for a series of connected attacks. It was established by an agreement between the United Nations and the Lebanese government. However, the creation of the tribunal was controversial for many reasons, especially because of the limited scope of its mandate and for the diplomatic pressure that some states put on its establishment. In addition, there were some problems with Lebanese constitutional law and the entry into force of the agreement establishing the tribunal. And eventually the tribunal was created by means of a Security Council resolution, number 1757 of 2007. Despite the controversy surrounding the establishment of the tribunal, Nino took the challenge and became the tribunal's first president, a role which he held until his very last days. In fact, uh, he sadly passed away about 10 days after resigning from the presidency. And he always strongly defended the tribunal's mandate. Uh, we can hear it uh, directly from Nino's voice. The scope of the mandate was, of course, defined by those who drafted the statute. Security Council, the UN Legal Council, and those who participated in the drafting of the statute. They decided that the scope of the tribunal should be limited to inquiring into and bringing to trial the authors of the assassination of Mr. Hariri, plus any connected crimes of terrorism committed in between 2004 and 2005. And then there was a third category which was added, namely any crime connected to the Hariri assassination, but uh, that occurred after 2005. Only for this third category, it is necessary, if the tribunal decides to pronounce upon those crimes, it is necessary for the Security Council and the Lebanon government to agree upon the extension of the mandate of, of the tribunal. To speak with us about Nino's work for the Lebanon Tribunal and the 2011 interlocutory decision on the crime of terrorism, we're very pleased to have with us Dr. Guido Acquaviva. Guido worked at the tribunal for many years as Nino's chef de cabinet and is now principal legal officer at the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. Of course, today he's speaking in his personal capacity. Guido, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you, Guido. Hello also from me and welcome to the podcast. We are very, very glad to have you with us, especially as you are a friend for both Julia and I. In this episode, we want to focus really on the crime of terrorism and the tribunal's decision. Uh, perhaps it would be uh, helpful to recall for our listeners, what are the sticking points of defining terrorism as an international crime? Because the international community really has struggled for decades to reach a consensus on whether terrorism is a crime under international law and what its constitutive elements are. So what are the main problems uh, in, in coming in, to agree on a definition? I think there are different areas of difficulties. What, the, the main difficulties are not really, in my view, legal issues, but are rather political issues. Discussions about the definition of terrorism have gone on for decades and had, at the time, gone on for decades already. We are talking about 2011 when this decision was issued. But of course, it's a post-9-11 war, but also there had been a lot of terrorism activities that are related to international intercourse among states uh, even before. And there was always uh, a big debate on whether terrorism could be actually defined as a crime or was more, more going to be a political tool or a political weapon to be used against uh, other, the other side, whatever that side might be. There is the very famous uh, sentence uh, expression according to which person's freedom fighter is another person's uh, terrorist. And that's, that's, of course, a criticism or, or a, a difficulty, but it's really a political problem. No, it's not really a legal issue. And, and Nino, I think, had this uh, issue very much in mind when setting out to develop, first academically and then uh, proposing to his fellow judges on the appeals chamber of the STL, also a judicial definition of the legal uh, elements of terrorism. So he was really trying to not do away with the politics of the issue, but just uh, superimpose, in a sense, uh, a possible legal definition that could reach the agreement of various of different sides to overcome the political difficulties. Yeah, indeed, Nino had been focusing on terrorism in his own scholarship for a while, right? He had written a book on the hijacking of the cruise ship Achille Lauro from the Palestinian Liberation Front in the, uh, in the 1980s. And he had actually written about the definition of terrorism. I think he, he really was vocal in advocating for agreeing at the international level for a comprehensive definition of the international crime of terrorism. And so he, he probably put this, uh, this idea and this, this conviction into his work at the Special Tribunal for Lebanon. What was the, the, the finding of the tribunal in the end? What was the definition that was agreed? Yeah, I mean, just, just to add to what you said, Antonio, uh, maybe one forgets a little bit where we were in 2011, 2012. It was really the, um, the war on terror was the, the, the catchphrase uh, at the time. Now, much less, of course. Osama bin Laden was still alive until May 2011. There was still a debate ongoing on whether terrorism should be fought with wars or with the rule of law in the courtrooms. And it might seem absurd now, of course, but at the time, this decision the decision that Nino had in mind could be issued uh, could have been part of the toolkit to show that courts can actually do something for terrorism. International courts can work for terrorism, that the legal definition of terrorism would be useful 
both for prosecutors around the world, but also for the accused to know in advance what they are being accused of and not being just killed in a targeted strike. Uh, so uh, there, there was this thinking behind. And, uh, and to go back to your specific question, the Lebanon decision is, of course, very long and the portion on terrorism is very dense. But essentially, it says that on the basis of treaties, of UN resolutions and of uh, legislative and judicial practice of, of the states around the world, there is convincing evidence that uh, there is a customary rule of international law that has evolved on the matter of terrorism in time of peace, at least, and requires the following elements that there is the intent of the underlying crime, the intent, the special intent to spread fear or coerce an authority, and that this intent relates to the commission of a criminal act. Moreover, that the terrorist act be a transnational, has a transnational dimension. When these four conditions are met, these elements are met, then, according to Nino, one could find the crime of terrorism. This means that the crime of terrorism is very important that it's not only a, a violation of an international uh, norm, but that it is a crime. It, it entails criminal responsibility. So it addresses itself to international subjects, states, uh, rebels, and others. And at the same time, it addresses itself to individuals by imposing on them the strict obligation to refrain from engaging in terrorism and uh, then the corresponding right of states to enforce such obligations at the domestic level. So it was an attempt at creating a comprehensive framework for a rule of law-based fight against terrorism. And Guido, we're talking about a definition of the crime of terrorism that applies in time of peace, right? Because this definition is different from the crime of terror that applies during armed conflict. Yes, and the decision does make that distinction, referring to the Galich uh, case, uh, the ICTY, another case I was fortunate enough to work on, and, uh, uh, and other uh, international uh, case law relating to the war crime of attacking the civilian population with the primary purpose of inflicting terror. Guido, sorry, but the tribunal, of course, concerns uh, some attacks that occurred in Lebanon, and the applicable law before the tribunal is basically Lebanese law. So uh, how does the definition of terrorism under international law come into play? It's, that's a very long uh, story, but the short version is definitely that according to the five judges uh, unanimously, so and that I want to stress because, of course, uh, a lot of uh, commentators and others have said that this is uh, Nino's decision, but there was a unanimous appeals chamber with uh, two Lebanese judges from coming from the highest courts and different backgrounds. Huge assistance from, uh, therefore, the vice president at the time, Lebanese uh, judge Riashi, and uh, the other Lebanese judge, Judge Hamsadin, then a Swedish judge, and of course, a New Zealand judge. So very diverse uh, bench, unanimously found for this definition. And the appeals chamber unanimously considered that this definition would not be directly applicable to the cases before the Lebanon Tribunal, because the Lebanon Tribunal is supposed to apply the Lebanese Criminal Code. However, when interpreting and when applying the Lebanese Criminal Code, the, the judges of the Appeals Chamber decided that the tribunal should, should interpret Lebanese law in line with international customary obligations on Lebanon. And that's a very important uh, distinction because so this definition would not be applicable as such by the STL, but only a, a definition of Lebanese criminal law 
that would be consonant or uh, interpreted in the light of this customary definition would be properly applicable before the Lebanon Tribunal. Guido, I want to come back a little bit to the question of the decision's impact. In a conversation with Italian journalist uh, Giorgio Coviva, your father, Nino said that um, he thought that this decision would have an impact because it was based on a rigorous methodology and it was adopted unanimously. Unfortunately, the book is only available in Italian. Has that been the case? Like, have other courts followed the determination that was made by the SDL Appeals Chamber uh, on whether terrorism is an international crime? There have been a few references in some uh, national case law, but to be honest, I don't think there has been a huge impact of this decision. Uh, some impact uh, exists in, in scholarly writings. And I think it's a bit of a pity that academics and, and policymakers, to be honest, uh, have hardly engaged with this decision on its merits. They have rather criticized the, the approach to the definition of terrorism to be applied to the STL, but especially policymakers, uh, have not leveraged uh, this decision, the reasoning and the conclusions in this decision to try and identify a better definition, if one can find a better definition, but more importantly also for aiming at something larger, for aiming, uh, as I was saying at the beginning, uh, uh, to a more comprehensive rule of law approach to terrorism at the international level. So it's all fine to say, and I think it's fair, completely uh, fair to say that this decision uh, goes maybe beyond what uh, the opinion juris of states uh, as is currently or was in 2011 about the agreement on the definition of terrorism. It's uh, also fair to, to say that in some elements it could have been specified a bit better to clarify that the, the criminal acts underlying terrorism should be probably violent criminal acts, not any act. So there are a few, but nonetheless, I think it's a pity that this was not used, leveraged really to uh, used as a benchmark to, to go beyond. If there is a better definition, to start from this and see if there is a better definition or to just sit people around the table to discuss what can be agreed and what cannot be agreed of, the, of such a definition. If I may, this is the same. It's, of course, true for the definition of terrorism, but it's also true for, in general, what the, the Lebanon Tribunal did in those first years. So uh, just, just to remember where we were in 2009, 2010, war on terrorism, a uh, completely different situation in the Middle East. And at the same time, you had the Lebanon Tribunal created on the 1st of March 2009, established, uh, started working on the 1st of March 2009, which in two months was set up, established, set up its own framework, internal framework, rules of procedure and evidence, received submissions relating to four generals who were detained in Lebanon at the time in connection with the Ariri uh, attack. And in, uh, in only these two, in these two months, considered the submissions and freed, ordered Lebanon to free these four generals who had been in prison for more than two years, three years, in connection with that case. So this is the type of pace that Nino was striving for. And this is the type of action that could have shown if pursued relentlessly over the years by the STL, but not only, of course, by the STL, could have shown a different way for dealing with terrorism. For example, it could have been used by Lebanese uh, uh, civil society, local actors uh, and, and other local actors in the area to 
rethink the rules, the, the laws regarding pretrial detention for terrorism crimes because the, the Lebanon tribunal showed a different way, could have been seen. So it's not only the, the terrorism decision that I think was overlooked or maybe not considered as much as it could, but a bit all of the beginning of the Lebanon tribunal. Guido, you mentioned the, the criticism of the decision and of the work of the tribunal in general. And now I, I'm a bit curious, what was the perception of the people working for the tribunal when this criticism was leveraged? I mean, I remember some articles commenting specifically on the decision that are actually quite violent in the tone. And of course, academic criticism is very important uh, in a constructive way, but I've rarely seen a, a judicial decision of any international tribunal being criticized so harshly. And you have acknowledged that some things could have been done better, of course, but I was wondering, was this hurtful considering all the work that had been put into the, the decision or was it taken in some other way? To be honest, I don't recall any concern or any uh, feeling of being hurt by Nino or by others with regard to the criticisms. I think, again, it was more a matter of a more a question of why many of these criticisms were not engaging on the substance of the matter. The substance of the matter, according to Nino's views, was, do we need a definition of terrorism? His answer was yes. Other people might say no, but then they would have to explain how can you have a rule of law approach, an international level rule of law approach to terrorism without having a definition, a common agreed definition of terrorism. And then on the, uh, also on, on more on the substance, what are the elements of terrorism? If you agree that the definition should be there and you disagree with uh, this specific definition, how would you improve on this? There is, has not been much on this. There was criticisms also in relation to Amicus Curie briefs and, and how, whether they were considered fully or not considered. But the, the whole point was that the, the appeals chamber had been working for months before to prepare itself without knowing that this decision was would be coming up, but uh, to prepare for the trial and for the appeal proceedings was preparing uh, with through by reading all that had been written in academia in the months and years before. So in a sense, we were ready for the criticism, and I think Nino was ready for the criticism. Just uh, a bit of a pity that there was no more constructive approach afterwards. And I'm not necessarily pointing out to academics, but also policymakers and others. I want to go back for a moment to sort of the controversial establishment of the tribunal, because of the reasons that Antonio already mentioned. Nino used to say that half justice is better than no justice, and I think he was very hopeful about what the STL, the Lebanon Tribunal, could achieve. Uh, let's hear that from him directly. I hope that they will gain in uh, from the success, uh, if we are successful, of course, of the tribunal in many respects. First of all, because they will understand the new culture of accountability. It's, it's the new idea of accountability, which is crucial, crucial for modern societies, that people who commit crimes may not go on committing crimes, but they, why? they have to stop because they will be brought to justice. So therefore, the whole tradition of political assassinations in, in Lebanon should stop because people who have committed assassinations must be brought to trial. Guido, I think it's fair to say that, um, as you've already mentioned, some consider the Lebanon tribunal a failure for, for many reasons. Um, 
the controversy over its establishment, but also its very limited mandate, the length of the proceedings, the fact that the proceedings happened in absentia, that is, without the presence of the accused. Do you think there is something in which the tribunal succeeded? And what are the lessons learned from this experience? You can always have uh, lessons learned, even from from a less than perfect experience. And well, I mean, one of the main lessons learned is definitely that people make a difference. And Nino, at the helm of the tribunal, was something, and and really achieved a lot in the short period that he was there. There are many other lessons. I mean, for example, the Lebanon Tribunal is the only tribunal, as far as I can tell, or international tribunal, that has a provision like uh, Article 21 of its statute that requires the tribunal to confine the trial strictly to an expeditious hearing of the issues raised by the charges and to take strict measures, it says, to prevent any action that may cause unreasonable delay. This is a great provision, as long as it's, of course, balanced by the fair trial rights and the full implementation of the interests of the victims as well. But it's not always been followed. And in this case, of course, the trial lasted extremely long and the trial proceedings went on extremely long despite being in absentia. I'm talking about the main case. But something like this, if properly implemented and could really be useful in a context of the ICC or of the of other international jurisdictions. So the, the things that remain from the Lebanon Tribunal, for example, are a very aggressive outreach policy from day one. It's the only tribunal at the time, at least. It was the first tribunal that had an outreach office as of day one, not like the other tribunals implementing it later. With And this uh, outreach program had a very successful program of uh, courses uh, in Lebanon and putting together for the first time the different uh, Lebanese universities into teaching uh, uh, ICL and IHL-related subjects. This, of course, was not the core business, so I'm just talking about various aspects of the presence of the Lebanon Tribunal that uh, could be used in the future as lessons learned for improving or uh, creating better uh, international or mixed or hybrid jurisdictions. The fact that uh, an ancillary case before the Lebanon Tribunal established legal persons as subject of international criminal law, international criminal justice, even though only tangentially, but this is an interesting development that, again, could still present some options for further development by the ICC or by other international uh, or mixed jurisdictions. So there are always and there are many areas where the STL could be used for the future. Guido, I get that this decision was long in the making. Can you tell us how it was to work with Nino on it? How was he feeling about this endeavor and what was, was his attitude towards the impact that this decision could have in the future? Working with Nino, as many uh, have said, uh, of course, uh, entailed uh, uh, quite a lot of uh, flexibility and a need to work hard uh, towards very strict deadlines. During this period and, and also afterwards, Nino, of course, would call uh, uh, us any time. He 
understood, I think also thanks to his marvelous wife, that people had a life and that he tried to limit his own enthusiasm in, in reaching out to people. During my time at the STL, for example, I think he was quite good in never calling me on Saturdays. However, on Sundays, you could feel that he could really not refrain himself anymore. By 10.30 on Sunday morning, he would call me and start listing activities for the week and his thoughts and, and what needed to be done. He was, of course, not well health-wise in this period. Period, uh, and, and he was doing all of this while undergoing treatments and uh, nonetheless he did not spare any effort or energies and he did not spare kind words and, and deeds. So although this might have been also hard on his family as well as on us and our families, it was really a marvelous experience to work with him, to prepare, always be very much prepared and always uh, doing the background work, a lot of research, a lot of uh, thinking, a lot of drafting and redrafting. And this was something that is uh, very typical of, of, of Nino, is the fact that he's, he was very open to discussing his ideas. His own drafts were circulated to everybody, interns, legal officers, whoever else uh, might have a, a, a relevant input. And he was ready to uh, reopen issues that uh, other people might have considered closed and, and just move on from there. He was really considered, I think he's really a mentor for, for many people who worked with, uh, with him, not only because of his style, but also because of the passion for mixing research and action. And I think his, uh, his reports on, 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 um, course on Darfur, but his judicial decision, I think, show his uh, attempts at uh, putting passion into practice and to have a, a concrete result out of these legal musings. Looking, of course, at the law as it is, but also always inquire as to why it is like this and, uh, and, and then suggest how institutions should be improved to better take into account uh, the, the social needs, the development, the advancements, and so on. So I think this was really the incredibly stimulating and enriching part of working with him. Thank you, Guido. Julia and I, having worked with Nino, we know very well that it's always very fun. There are many, many great moments. Both Julia and I, by the way, worked with Nino at the tribunal, even if for a short time. And we should have said it perhaps at the beginning. I personally have many anecdotes, but I would like you, Guido, to perhaps tell us one anecdote about working with Nino at the tribunal. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned uh, a couple, but uh, one definitely, one angle at least to look at it is that uh, Nino was really a doer. So definitely a stubborn sparrow, but a very active one. Maybe actually, if I can level a criticism, maybe the image of the sparrow that lies on the ground is not completely accurate to describe Nino, because he would prepare and he would act much more than just wait for the sky to fall. Uh, in this sense, he knew very well that the only ones who can tell people that they don't do mistakes are the ones who don't act. So he And he really hated them. He really hated those people that can can boast that they didn't do any mistake simply because they didn't do anything. He did not want to be like that. He was ready and unafraid of mistakes, as long as they were done in pursuit of a better world or, or how we saw a better outcome. So, for example, he told us, uh, and i leave with this anecdote maybe, he told us young people with who had experience at the ICTY and in other international tribunals when we were setting up the STL, let us do at least new mistakes, making 
the same mistakes as in the past is boring. Let's try to invent new mistakes. And by this, of course, he didn't want to do mistakes, but he wanted to say, inevitably, we will make mistakes, but we have to chart a new uh, way. It's the first tribunal of this kind. Let's at least try to learn from the past and not redo the same mistakes. That sounds very much like uh, the Nino I remember and uh, the Nino that everybody loves so much, um, I have to say. Guido, thank you so much for sharing your memory of Nino with us and with our listeners and for agreeing to be our second interviewee for this podcast series. I think we're coming to the end of this um, episode. So again, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Guido. And please let me remind all of our listeners that uh, links to the decision of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon and additional materials will be provided in the show notes. And we will be back with a third episode of The Stubborn Sparrow. In the next episode, we will talk about Nino's work for the Committee for the Prevention of Torture. And you can follow us at the website of the Cassese Initiative on Twitter, and you can listen to the podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Simplecast, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Well, replied the sparrow, one does what one can. So like the sparrow, let us do what we can. <laughs>